All right, we're going to go ahead and get ourselves started. We're going to get ourselves started with uh, session two as we just continue on our study on the fear of the Lord. Isn't it amazing how just this one instruction, I mean, there's about three to four instructions just in the first angel's message. It's amazing to see how just the fear of God took us just an hour and, and we still haven't scratched the surface yet. And that is how we study. You know, when you don't rush through the scriptures, but you take your time, you really go word by word and you're looking at the verses and so on. You just see amazing things from God and God begins to speak to your heart. And as you see it, you're just like, okay, I think I'm getting it now, Lord. And, and the eyes just become more and more open and it becomes more practical. Let's go ahead. Let's begin with a word of prayer and then we will go into session two. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again, Lord, for the privilege to learn how we can truly fear God. And we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to receive of your Holy Spirit. For we ask for him, Lord. We need his power. We need the wisdom that only comes from heaven. Father, we need the strength to truly do that which so few are doing today. And Lord, I pray that you would manifest yourself in a very marked manner and open our eyes and help us to behold wondrous things from your word. And I thank you for hearing this prayer, Father, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are now inquiring, how do I get to a point that I can actually fear God? We know that to fear the Lord is to what? What does it mean to fear God? To hate evil. To hate evil. That, that's, that's the experience. And keep in mind, we are living in the time of judgment. The only people that are going to make it through the judgment are those who can fully reflect the image of Jesus himself. You will find that we're going to look at a scripture in a little bit that's going to show us that, you know, one of the things that was very significant about the life of Jesus is that he hated evil. He actually hated evil. So if we're going to reflect the image of Jesus fully, then we should hate what he hates. And we should obviously love what he loves. Now, I want you to notice how do we get to a point that we could begin this love process? Because we don't want to pervert love. We don't want to make love into something mushy and wishy-washy. Ellen White uses a term called goody-goody love. You know, this thing that people just limit to a feeling. That's not the kind of thing we're talking about. We're not going to be talking about just some kind of feeling that you feel here today, but then it's gone tomorrow. That's not true love. Love is a principle more than a feeling. I'm thankful that feelings can come from love. Amen. But love is not a feeling. Love is a principle that whether we feel it or not, we do it because of our love for God. Now, in understanding this, how do we get to a point? Well, we learned that we need to love good. And who is good? God is good. Amen. We know we learn that God is good. If you need a text for that, you go to Matthew 19 and verse 17, when the Bible tells the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. That's for those of us taking notes. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good master, tell me what I must do to enter eternal life. And Jesus says, why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. So therefore, we know God is good. So when the Bible says, hate the evil, love the good, it is giving us a call to love God. When you and I love God, we will love the things God loves. And we'll find out shortly what it is that God loves. And this is how God will enter us into the experience where we will have victory over sin. Victory over sin. Real victory. Now, how do we get to a point in this process of fearing God, which is to hate evil and loving the good? And the good, of course, is God. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. And I like how the Bible says this, because if loving God is what is going to bring me into an experience where I can stop sinning against him, that I could stop doing those things that break his heart and so on, then obviously there must be a step by step process to do this. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter one, in Proverbs one and verse seven. Let's see what the Bible says. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now, notice the Bible says in Proverbs one. And verse seven, it says the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if I am going to love God, God says, then it begins with getting to know me. 
That's really how it begins. And that's almost so incredibly practical, isn't it? God says, you want to love me? You want to get to a point that you love me so that you can hate what I hate? God says it starts with getting to know me. It begins with a knowledge of me. You see, we must understand that to know God is to love him. Desire of Ages, page 22. To know God is to love him. We know that love is that security that protects us from falling back into sin. But God says, well, it's going to start with you getting to know me. And to know God is to love God. The only people who love God are those who clearly know him. And you don't love anything. You don't love any person that you don't know. It's the people that you know, those are the ones that you can say, well, I love them. Well, watch this. What is the benefit anyhow of those who actually know God? Go to the book of John chapter 17. In John the 17th chapter, let me show you the end result. We go forward to go backwards. We go forward to go backwards at times. The Bible does that. We can do it. In John the 17th chapter, look at what the Bible says here. Now, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And he's sharing some final words, of course, with his disciples. But in John 17, you find that this is this incredible anointed chapter where we see Jesus praying to his father and, of course, intercessing on behalf of the disciples as he's preparing to depart from this world. Well, the Bible says in John 17 and verse three, it says, and this is what life eternal or eternal life that they might what know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So we find that the beginning of what it is to fear God, it must start with knowing God. The end result of knowing God, the Bible says, is that we have eternal life. So that's the end result of knowing God. But this knowing God is not limited to a knowing of him. This is not going to be some sporadic idea and guessing who God is. There are a lot of people today in the Seventh-day Adventist church, they like to guess a lot of things. Why that is, I don't know. But I will tell you this, guessing brothers and sisters can get you in a lot of trouble. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of times where people would say, well, I guess this is such and such, and they'll be completely wrong. Have you ever had that experience? And there are some mistakes that people can rebound from, but there's some mistakes people can't. You don't want to guess on things that God gives us the privilege to know. In the book, Great Controversy, we're told on page 598, it says we have a chart that points out every waymark on the heavenward journey, and we do not have to guess at anything. When we're dealing with the heavenward journey, when we're dealing with the way marks that lead us there, you and I are not supposed to guess. We're supposed to know. There may be some things in life we can guess. When we're trying to go ahead and get to a place of recreation, we might guess that it might be left, but find out it's right. But we can rebound from that. But brothers and sisters, when it comes to the road to heaven, don't guess. No. Don't suppose. No. And the Bible lets us know that if we know God, we'll have eternal life. But this is not going to come from some casual knowledge of God. This is not going to come from some guessing game. You and I are going to have to know God on a level that Jesus expressed in John chapter 8. Go to John the 8th chapter. In John the 8th chapter, you find that Jesus expressed these words in such a way that when I looked it up in the original, I thought it was very powerful. And I want you to see how Christ expresses this to us in John the 8th chapter. In John the 8th chapter, in verse 31, listen to what the Bible says here. It says, John 8, 31, if we're there, say amen. It says, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So Jesus makes it clear, his true disciples are not those who only focus on a past experience with him. It is those who continue. That's present experience. If you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples. And I always found that to be interesting. He uses the word continue, which is a present experience. And then he says in my word and his word is truth. In other words, present truth. If you continue in present truth, don't talk about what you learned five years ago, 10 years ago, don't gloat over the language. Oh, I remember when I used to be on fire for Jesus. Jesus says it doesn't have to stay that way. You don't have to keep saying I used to. Jesus says it could be a present experience. You see, present truth is designed to meet present issues. 
There's a lot of present issues in this world. We have the issue of homosexuality right now. That's a present issue. God says the solution to that issue is in present truth. We have issues right now as it relates to the the economy. That's a present issue. God says, I have a solution to that in present truth. Today we are seeing sensual and sexual sin running rampant all throughout the world. That's a present issue. God says present truth can address those present issues. Don't ever let present truth become something that is so high and theoretical that it ignores present issues. Christ says, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And look at what verse 32 says. It says, and ye shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. When Jesus mentioned know the truth. The root of that word know in the original language, in this case, it would be the Greek. The root word of that word know was like the way Cain knew his wife or like how Adam knew his wife. In other words, when it comes to knowing God, it has to be intimate. It has to be something that is a deep connection with the word of God. It cannot be sporadic and haphazard. And you want to know why? Go to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Watch this one. It is not those who are simply acquainted with God's words of truth that are going to make it in these final moments of earth's history. There must be a deep knowledge of God's word to the point that it's expressed like this in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's notice what the Bible says as we consider verses 4 to 10. And I want you to catch this because in 2 Thessalonians 2, you'll find that Paul is talking about events that were soon to come in his or, or shortly after his days. And it was fulfilled in the time of the dark ages, but it would also transition further out even to our time in our day. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 now, starting at verse 4, talking about this man of sin, talking about this power, it says, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, did that happen yet? Has the Lord done this yet? No, he has not. So this is still future. So again, Paul is addressing things that was going to happen shortly after his day. But these are events that's going to transition all the way down even past 2012. And he says that the Lord shall come and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Now, look at this in verse nine. It says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now, right now, Paul just talked about how this power is going to affect the people and many of them are going to perish. Now, Paul is going to define the people who perished. Look at what it says in the next portion of the verse. It says... Because they receive not the what? Love of the truth that they might be saved. So therefore, when the Bible encourages us to know God and to know his truth, God is not encouraging us to just simply have a casual reading because that'll never get you and I to a point that we will actually love God truth. The only way you and I will get a chance to love truth, it means that we must learn what it is to spend time with truth, spend time in his word. In fact, notice this quotation here. We are told to study the scriptures. Amen. Now, in God's call to study in 2 Timothy 2.15, he tells us study to show thyself approved unto God. To study the Bible is different from reading the Bible. To study the Bible means you got to go deep. It means you have to spend time. It means you cannot be in a rush. It's not going to happen that way. I'm telling you right now. And this is to the young as well as to the old. If you're going to read the Bible, you must study it. And when you study it, that means that you don't move away from the verse until you understand what the verse says. Whenever I teach my children, I tell them there's two things you have to do. Number one, you have to explain to mommy and daddy what is the verse saying. That's the first point. Second point, 
you need to tell me what does it have to do with you. Do you know if we read the Bible and if we could just at least walk away with those two principles, you're on the road to some good Bible study. You never, ever read the scripture and just close the book. And then if somebody would ask you, what would you read about? What's it, what's it about? You say, I don't know. I was just reading, you know, such and such. That's brothers and sisters. That is going to prepare you for the mark of the beast. That kind of Bible study is going to unfit you for the final things that we're getting ready to go through. If you want to make sure that I can stand though the heavens may fall through the righteousness of Christ, we must understand that that means that when we read the Bible, I must walk away. Number one, understanding what was the verse talking about. Then number two, what does it have to do with me? Because that's when it's made practical now. That's when it's relevant. You know, young people, they don't mind studying the Bible as long as it's relevant to them. When it's not relevant, when we say high up here and they can't really understand what's going on, after a while, that's what makes them tune out. And they say, you know what? And all of a sudden they're looking at the curtains and the floor and they're looking at everything else but paying attention to the word of God. But when it becomes practical to them that they can say, you know what? I understand that. That's when even young people will say, you know what? This is interesting. And they don't have a problem studying the word. You see, inspiration tells us that we are to understand it is not safe. For us to turn from the Holy Scriptures with only a casual reading of their sacred pages. This is Mind, Character, and Personality, Book 1, page 95. It says, rein the mind up to the high task that has been set before it and study with determined interest that you may understand divine truth. Do you see how we're supposed to study? Study with determined interest. We must make it our duty to say, I must understand what is this book talking about? What is this verse talking about? What is it saying? What does it have to do with me? Those are two very key principles that you must live out when studying the Bible. It says those who do this will be surprised to find to what the mind can attain. God can make our minds brilliant, brothers and sisters. I don't care how dull the mind is. There's no mind that is too dull that through a faithful study of the scripture, God cannot take that dull mind and make it brilliant. In fact, you'll find that reading the Bible is the best book to read to literally expand the mind. I was reading the book Education, and I'm telling you, if you've never read that book, you need to read that book. In the book Education, it talks so much about how the study of the scripture expands the mind to such a point that it makes it easier to comprehend temporal things. So it's not going to come through a casual reading. It's not going to come through just simply going through the verses and kind of saying, oh, well, yeah, whatever, and then moving on. Brothers and sisters, you must study with a determined interest, and you must make sure that you are seeking to understand divine truth. This must be the mission when you study. Now, in order to do this, in order to gain this knowledge of God, because the fear of God begins with knowledge. you got to get to know God, and to know God is to love God, and to know God and love him is eternal life. So therefore, we must first get to a point that we study the word. But when we study it, we are not studying it just to gain facts. We're not studying it so that we can just understand things. Brothers and sisters, when you study, you want to see the character of God. There are people today that when they study the Bible, they don't see anything about God's character. It is possible to be in front of a book for an hour. And learn nothing about Jesus and his character. And we wonder, why do I still cuss and swear when I get mad? Why is it that I still do this? Do you know that it is impossible? I repeat, it is impossible. The only thing is, unless we are just in total, complete rebellion, brothers and sisters, I believe it is impossible for a husband to stay mad at his wife if he's having devotion with God. I believe it is impossible for a wife to stay mad at her husband if she is having devotion with God. But I'm talking about right devotion. I'm talking about when you study, you are with determined interest, looking to see where is the character of God? How can I understand his ways and his mannerisms? And the list goes on because I don't care what it is that husband and wife have done one to another. When we see what we did to Jesus, when we see you know, I think about I always think about this case with uh, the gentleman, uh, Mr. Zimmerman and what happened with uh, Mr., uh, the young man, Trayvon Martin. And, and the whole world was out of stir. And everybody, you know, of course, is is especially putting a lot of pressure on the, 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 the murderer. And I thought to myself, I said, this is interesting. We once again are ready to go ahead and cast this man off because he's so wicked and evil and has done this thing. And it's a wicked and evil thing to kill any in- innocent person. Amen. And it doesn't matter what their color is. 
But watch this. I thought to myself, I said, you know, this is interesting. If we were to consider what our sins did to Jesus, Jesus was an innocent man. Jesus came to this earth and the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, he went about doing good. You and I cannot trace one stitch of Jesus's life where he did anything bad or wrong to anybody. All he did was good. And here it is that, you know, what's funny when you think about a, a, a certain kind of murderers. I always think about some murderers. They only kill a person once. And that's it, because a person can't rise back up again. They only do the murder once. Right. I thought about this. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 6, that every time we sin, we crucify Christ afresh. We're talking about fall afresh. We can also crucify Christ afresh. Every time we choose self and sin over God and brothers and sisters, that would mean that maybe heaven looks at us as a bunch of serial killers. Just going around and just committing random murders over and over and over again. Why? For no reason except the love of self. So therefore, when we condemn a man because he killed an innocent person, God says, magnify that times infinity on what you deserve. Because you killed my innocent son. And all he did was come to bring to you good in this world and to bring to me. And when God in mercy and love says, but I'm willing to forgive you. If you would just come to me. If you would just come to me, I would accept you and I would forgive you. I would pardon you if you would just come to me and confess your sins and be willing to forsake it. God says, I will bring you into covenant communion with myself and I'll show you how to never hurt my son again. Brothers and sisters, if God can demonstrate that kind of love to you and I, how in the world can we be mad still at our husbands or wives because they spoke to us in an unkind manner? Because they might have done something that truly and legitimately was wrong. I believe if we were having real devotions, not casual haphazard stuff, not this thing where we're just trying to go from ignorance to intelligence. But if we're having true devotion so that at the end of the experience, we might devote ourselves to God even deeper. You will find that a lot of the bitterness, anger and resentment that is many is in many of our hearts would suddenly go away. Because as God forgave me. So I can forgive others. It comes with knowing God and to know God means you got to spend time with him. If you're gonna get to know God, no matter how busy our lives are, you must realize you got to spend time. And brothers and sisters, this is very serious. I mean, this is it. We're getting practical. I told you we're going to get practical, right? The angel is calling the world to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God is to hate evil. Well, there's a problem. The problem is, is that I love evil. I'm accustomed to it. It's my lifestyle. God says, I understand that, but I know how to break the cycle. Well, how do you do that? You hate evil only by loving good. When you and I learn to love good, we will hate evil. Well, then what is good? God says, I'm good. My law is good. When you learn to love me, you'll love my law. You'll love what I love and therefore you'll hate what I hate. Well, Lord, how do I do that? It starts with getting to know me. How do I do that? God says you have to take time. You see how simple this is so far? You see, life is so busy. Do you know in the book, Great Controversy, page 519, it says Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Therefore, it says he creates all sorts of devices. Smartphones. The iPads and the iPods of the world. The galaxies. These instruments are not wrong in and of themselves. They are not innately evil, brothers and sisters. But many a times we do more evil with these instruments than good. We spend more time chatting and all these other things, as Pastor Davis often says, we're on Facebook. And many a times Facebook is keeping our faces out of this book. We find ourselves so busy doing the things that we call fun. And therefore, we have no time to know Jesus. And we wonder, why am I constantly falling asleep in, inside of religious meetings? But why is it I'm constantly awake when I'm hanging around my friends doing foolishness? It's, all, it's a love issue, brothers and sisters. It's a love issue. And so it is that you'll find that it says 
Guard jealously your hours for prayer, Bible study, and self-examination. Why do I do this? It says, set aside a portion of how many days? Each day for a study of the scriptures and communion with God. Do you know that even while you're here at this campground, you should be setting aside a time where it's just you and Jesus? Don't let your religion come from the spoken word from God's ministers only throughout this time. When people get a chance to get away, especially if any of you live in the cities, this is your opportunity, brothers and sisters. If you're here in the country, do you know that this is the best place as far as a physical environment to be able for the mind to connect with Jesus? This is the best place to be out there in nature. And so it is you'll find that if you and I take the time and we go ahead and find some place where we can go ahead and have communion with God, just talk to him and let him talk back to you. If you just stop and listen, then open up the scriptures. And when you open it up, don't just simply read the Bible so you could just say, let me let me learn how to prove the Sabbath truth. When other people try to challenge me on it. No, just say, Father, help me see your character as I study this topic of the Sabbath. Well, right now we're getting ready to do a training in October in uh, San Diego. And in October, we're going to my, my family and I, we're going to be here for a whole month in San Diego. And we're going to be running a training school. And one of the things we're going to teach in that training school is how do you see righteousness by faith in all of the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Do you know it is possible that individuals can teach the issue of the Sabbath and Jesus is not in it? Do you know that it's possible that an individual can teach all sorts of different things on jewelry and diet and the list goes on and there's no Christ in it. There's no redemption plan. No wonder people sometimes kick back and fight so much. You ever sat down with somebody, you're teaching them the Sabbath truth and you're you're thinking to yourself, man, I did a great job today. And all of a sudden that person says, well, I appreciate the study. Thank you very much. But... I don't think I want to make a decision right now, but, you know, thanks for the study anyhow. And we walk away sometimes saying, Lord, what could have been? What, what could have been wrong? Now, it is possible we did everything right. Could be. But I believe with many of us, because I've sat down with many of us. Many of times we present the Sabbath, brothers and sisters, we are more about proof texting the day in the week than we are about pointing them how keeping the Sabbath brings us into a closer covenant relationship with Christ, our righteousness. And I'm telling you, depending on how you teach it will determine to a large degree the results you get. Many people study the Bible and they don't see Jesus in it. They're just studying a bunch of letters and statements. And in their minds, that is not stimulating enough to break the love relationship they have with sin. And therefore, they stay loyal to what they love. So therefore, we are to guard jealously. In other words, here's what you're going to do from today. You said you want to know how to love Jesus. That's why you came back. So now watch this from today. That means, number one, you are going to set aside a portion of each day. You're going to go ahead and look at your schedules, your day to day life schedules, and you're going to set a portion of time each day. This is for parents. This is for children. We're going to set a time where we are going to commune with God and study his word. Now, once you set the time. Guard it jealously. That means that sometimes the cell phone is going to ring and it's going to call you away from your time with Jesus. You must learn how to take that cell phone and cut it off and put it away somewhere where it's no longer a distraction. There are going to be times that individuals may all of a sudden at the time that you're supposed to commune with God, they're going to all of a sudden say, I need you. And it may not be something cheap. It might be something noble, but not an emergency. And they're going to say, I need your time. And you're going to have to make a decision. I have to disappoint somebody. You know what hurts so bad? It seems like God is often most disappointed when it comes to us making decisions. Most times, it seems like whenever we have to go ahead and we realize whatever decision I make, somebody's going to be disappointed, either a human being or God. As soon as that human being, that human being could be mother, father, brother, sister, friend, co-worker, and so on. As soon as that time is set to meet with God, all of a sudden, the human being comes in the way and says, I need you at this time. And now we have to make a decision. Okay, who do I disappoint? And nine times out of ten, God is the one that gets disappointed. We cheapen his love. We say, well, you're full of grace and mercy. You'll forgive me. But this person's not full of grace and mercy. They won't forgive me. And therefore, we lean on the side of flesh. 
When does God become the priority? When does God become the priority that you literally look odd, singular, and straight-laced for choosing him rather than choosing the person, even though in the mind of the person, they said, what I needed you for was important. God must become a priority because I can guarantee you there's always going to be something in your life that is going to pull at you and say, we need you now. And it's always going to come at the times where you and I were supposed to commune with God. Sooner or later, you got to get to a point to break the cycle of disappointment and say, I will no longer disappoint God. I will let the world know I have a time with Jesus and nothing is going to get in the way. Nothing. Guard jealously your hours for prayer, Bible study, and self-examination. It is well that after praying, after studying the word, that after a while we begin to get to a point that we start to say, Lord, is everything well between myself and my Savior? Do you know the more that you and I begin to search our hearts and put our lifestyles in connection to God's principles and demands, we will find that there is not any harmony. And therefore, it's going to be a call to surrender. And that's the purpose of self-examination. One of the reasons why there's so many self-righteous people is because they're so busy telling everybody else what to do and they don't get the time to examine themselves and make sure they're okay with God. Every anniversary, brothers and sisters, I can do one of two things. I can either assume I'm a great husband or I can look my bride in the eyes and ask her, honey, have I been the man of God and the husband that God has called me to be to you over this past year? I choose the second. May 25th of 2012 that just passed marked 15 years that I've been privileged to be the husband to one wife, Alexandra Lemon. And when I went to my wife, I, w- I want to ask her, honey, have I been the husband, the house band that inspiration calls us to be? Have I been that to you? You know what that's called? Self-examination. Every birthday. You know, we commit a crime every birthday. You know what the crime is? We celebrate the creature. Let me ask you something. Name one thing you did to get yourself from 2011 to 2012. Now, brothers and sisters, when I think about it, let me tell you what I did. I can remember times I was driving my car. And I could remember times that a text came in. And though I knew texting and driving is not a good thing, the temptation kicked in and I would go ahead and say, let me just text him back real quick because in my mind I made it urgent. So I said, all right, let me just text it real quick. And then here it is, I'm doing this, up and down, up and down. And the next thing you know, eventually I'm getting caught up in that text. And all of a sudden, and it's like the angel said, look up. And then all of a sudden you see the car, whoo, and then you turn over to the side because you were veering off the road. God says, if I left your life in your hands, you wouldn't have made it through another year. So why is it that you're celebrating yourself every time you get to a birthday? Why would you deceive the child and let the child believe that they are worthy of celebration when they did absolutely nothing to take themselves from one year to the next. That's why Adventist Home has a whole chapter on birthdays. And if you read the chapter in Adventist Home on birthdays, she says, what has the child done to take themselves through another year? Adventist Home says that we should take time to offer thank offerings to God when our birthdays come. What we do with our children is we take our children and we go ahead and go down an area on our property and we go ahead and sit down with the children and we do something called review the year. This is what we do on birthdays. We say, let's review the year. And what do we do? We look at 2011 to 2012. Kayla's coming up July 25th. So Kayla, my daughter, she's the next one in line. And here it is when her birthday comes. We're going to go ahead and we're going to review that year. We're going to look back and say, all right, let's go ahead and let's look at the year. And her siblings get to participate. Her siblings get to say, here is where Kayla did really good over the year and reflected the image of Jesus. Do you know that's what the review is all about? How were you a better servant to God? How were you a better servant to man over the past year? And here it is that they're marking down. We usually try to use a whiteboard. So we'll say she was more kind. She prayed more. She gave out literature. She did her devotions, such and such and such. And we write down all the good. 
Because even in the book of Revelation, God starts with the churches with the good. God would say, you did this, you did that, you did this. But you remember in the book of Revelation, when God deals with those churches, sooner or later, God said, but, right? God says, I have an ought with you. So eventually we review the year, we look at the good. Then after that, we start to look at where were the areas where Kayla could have improved. Well, there was a time in June when Kayla was a little short-tempered. Well, there was a time in January where Kayla was acting a little selfish. And such and such and such. And then what we do is we look at the good and we look at the bad and then we come together in prayer and we go ahead and pray on behalf of Kayla and we thank God for the victories, the good that she did over the past year. And then we ask God to give her strength in this new year to overcome where she failed last year. Self-examination. This is God's concept of what will help us, brothers and sisters. Everything I just said to you comes from Adventist home. It comes from Adventist home, the books that we say we believe. So what I'm saying to you is that don't ignore the need for self-examination. You and I just may not be as great as we think we are. But we'll never find out until we examine ourselves. So therefore, if we guard jealously our time for prayer, the searching of the scriptures and self-examination, as we do this, this builds a communion with God. And as we're communing with God and gaining a knowledge of him, now we're ready to go to the next step. Proverbs chapter nine In Proverbs chapter nine. Notice what the Bible says here now. Proverbs, the ninth chapter. We commune with God. We get to know him. And as we get to know him, we're going to get to do something else. Proverbs chapter 9. Now, in Proverbs chapter 9, this is the next step. This is the next phase. So phase one, how do I get to a point to fear God, which is to hate evil? Well, the only way I can fear God, the Bible lets me know, is that I must hate evil. But the only way I can hate evil is by loving the good. And how do I get to love the good? God says you got to get to know me. So therefore, we begin by setting up our study principles, our time with communion with God, time with prayer, talking to him, taking a moment, let him talk back to you. He actually will talk if we simply would pause to listen. Many a times we just pray in Jesus name. Amen. Boop, pop up and we're on the run. But if we would just simply pray in Jesus name. Amen. And give God a chance to speak to us now and be quiet for a little bit. You'll find that the Lord will talk to your heart. Desire of Ages, page 668, tells us that God will speak his mysteries to us personally. But you've got to be willing to take a minute to listen. Now, after that, go to the book of Proverbs 9, and now let's notice verse 10. Proverbs 9, 10 introduces phase two. First, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Once we gain the knowledge, there's something we must do with it now. The Bible says in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So therefore, while God says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, after we gain the knowledge, the next step is now we must enter into wisdom. Wisdom is the follow through or follow up to knowledge. And I wonder what the wisdom is. Go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter four. In Deuteronomy chapter four, let's find out what that wisdom is. Deuteronomy chapter four. And let's notice what the Bible says as we consider Verses five and six of Deuteronomy chapter four, Deuteronomy chapter four, verses five and six. When you get there, please say amen. Now, notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy four, five and six. We gain a knowledge of God. We gain a knowledge of his word. We we discover the requirements of God, what God calls us to. Now, anytime you read about God and his character and you read about the things that he calls us to do and wants us to do, you're going to find that the next step is to exercise wisdom. What is that wisdom? Deuteronomy chapter four, verses five and six. Let's notice what the Bible says. It says, behold. I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. It says, keep therefore and do them. So is this just talking about simply acknowledging it or is it talking about obeying it? It's talking about obeying it. It says, keep therefore and do them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
according to the Bible, when an individual not only knows what God requires, but keeps it and does it, the Bible says that's wisdom. That's understanding. A wise person is an individual who learns what God requires of them and does it. This is all the process of learning how to fear God. When we learn what God requires of us and then when we do it, the Bible says this is wisdom. That's understanding. So therefore, wisdom is when an individual knows what to do and chooses to do it. Therefore, it is foolish when we know what to do and do it not. In fact, what does the Bible call that? James 4 and verse 17, the Bible says to him that knows to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. And there's only one thing that will separate us from God. Did you know that? Only one thing. Sin. Sin is the only thing that will separate you and I from Jesus. So it makes no sense to know what God wants, but to not do it. So therefore, what is the fear of God? The fear of God is to hate evil. The problem is, is that, Lord, I love evil. God says, I know. That's why I need to break the love cycle. Well, how do you do it, Lord? Well, he took us to Amos 5.15. He says, hate the evil, but love the good. God says, this is how I'm going to break the cycle. So, yes, while you're going to cease to do evil, you're going to also learn to do well. You're going to start loving the good. What is good? Jesus says, God is good. Matthew 19, 17. Paul says in Romans 7, thy law is good. So you say, all right, so therefore you want me to love good. Well, how do I love good? It's one thing to tell me to love good. It's another thing to show me how. Brothers and sisters, I learned that as a parent. Parenthood is good. You learn some sweet things. I have learned that it is one thing to tell a child to behave themselves. It's a whole different ball game to show them how to do it. That's why, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you got to be practical with this and you got to teach it on a level that a child can understand it. When a child can walk away and say, I got that, then you know that it's all right. Brothers and sisters, How do we get to a point that we love good? Well, God says, you're going to have to love good, but you got to get to know me. It begins with knowledge. You got to get to know me. To know God is to love God. And when I know God and love him, I get eternal life. The people who are going to be deceived in the last days by the beast power and receive his mark ultimately are those who did not receive the love of the truth. So therefore, I got to get to know God in a way that's intimate, not something casual, haphazard, broken and all these things. It must be consistent. So God says, begin gaining a knowledge of me. When you study, make sure you see me. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, for they are they which testify of me. Don't you dare leave a Bible study and not learn something about Jesus in the process. Don't leave there just understanding a bunch of facts and dates and marks and charts and symbols, but you understand nothing about the Savior from sin in that teaching. Jesus says, get to know me, start studying, learn about me, learn about my character, learn about my ways, learn about my righteousness, learn about my mercy, learn about my power. Learn about all these things. And then what happens is as we're growing in that knowledge and growing in that knowledge, God says, all right, now, now you got to make a choice. You learn some things about me. Now I need you to do it. And, you know, this is typically where we falter. How many times do you fall in sin and you did not know it was a sin? That's very rare, isn't it? That's rare. It happens, but it's rare. There was a time I I didn't know that the Sabbath was part of God's Ten Commandments and that God expected me to keep it and not break it. I didn't know that. So I was living, violating God's law. I was living, sinning. I didn't know that. So it's possible that a person can sin and actually say, I didn't know that. But most of our sins, brothers and sisters, we already know it's sin before we do it. So again, the problem is we're loyal to what we love and we love sin. Therefore, we keep doing it. So God says he wants to break the cycle. Now, God says you gain a knowledge of me. Then he says, I want you to exercise wisdom now. Wisdom is the keeping and doing of what he says. Now, watch this. Brothers and sisters, that is regardless of if you feel it. Do you know that's where we usually mess up? Where we usually mess up is 
I want to do this wrong thing. The spirit of the Lord will say, don't do it. It's wrong. It's sin. You'll break the heart of Jesus. I know, but I don't care because I want it. Obey God. I don't feel like doing that. I feel like doing this. Is this not the common great controversy we go through in our minds? Now, brothers and sisters, Christ says, listen, there's something I gave you that literally makes you different from monkeys. You know what it is? It's called the power of choice. It's called the power of choice. That's why in Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. That's why in 1 Kings 18, 21, when uh, uh, Elijah, he says, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Choose, follow. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20, the Bible says, I present before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. We have a choice. Everybody who goes to hell chose to be there. It's a solemn thought. There will not be one person who will simply be in hell just because they happen to be there. It was through choices that they're there. And not one person will slip or sneak into heaven except to be that they chose the ways of heaven before they got there. Choice. One of the most powerful statements I ever read in the spirit of prophecy comes from the book Early Writings, page 72, where it says faith is ours to exercise, but joyful feeling and the blessing is God's to give to us. Why is it that we usually don't choose God's way? Because we don't feel to do it. But you know why we don't feel to do it? Because that's not your responsibility to feel it. God never asked you to feel to do what he tells you and I to do. And you know what? That brought peace to my heart. Because I remember a time in my life where I could look back and say, Lord, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not doing it. And that's pretty much the world today, is it not? That's the church today to a large degree. People who say, I know it's right, I just don't feel like doing it. You teach all these things about diet and health reform, but people say, I don't want to eat like that. And therefore, I'm not. Choice. God says, faith is yours to exercise. God says, when I tell you to do something, even though you don't feel it, he says, choose to do it anyhow. Your friends who you really want to associate with. My children love association, but not everybody who tries to associate with them are good associations. So there are times that I have to let my children know, bad association, I'm sorry, because mommy and daddy pick. I, I pick. My wife picks my children's friends. They don't pick their friends. There are some children that my wife and I will have to tell my children to say, I'm sorry, they don't, they, they're not going to be a good friend for you right now. Not now. Maybe in the future, but not now. They're too much of a distraction. They're going to mislead you in the wrong way. Why? Because our children, children have a tendency to succumb to peer pressure. They have a tendency to say, if I stand for Jesus, they're not going to be my friends and then I'm going to be alone. And they don't like that. So therefore, they will sooner say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to compromise so I can go ahead and hold on to the friendship. And it's sad because there are adults who live like that, too. But brothers and sisters, one day you're hanging out with some friends and you realize those friends are not good for you. Maybe they're having conversation that you already know they shouldn't be having this conversation. Maybe it's the Sabbath and they're talking about foolishness on the Sabbath instead of talking about Jesus. And now you got to make a decision. God says, walk away. You say, Lord, I don't want to walk away because it might make it look like I'm trying to be more holier than them. You're not trying to be more holier than them. You're just sticking to me. Walk away. Lord, I don't feel like it. God says, do it anyhow. We say, yes, Lord. We walk away. We walk away and then all of a sudden, watch this. It's beautiful. It happens 10 times over. You walk away when they're having worldly conversation on the Sabbath and you go ahead and sit somewhere else or do something else. All of a sudden, the people who were sitting here having the worldly conversation, it becomes a silent rebuke to them. They realize, okay, well, why did so-and-so walk away? We were talking about this. Oh, you know what? Maybe they realize. And then all of a sudden, conviction kicks in. Some of those friends go to you and say, you know what? You walked away. This happened before. Some of them go to you. You know what? You walked away because of what we were talking about. Well, yes, I did. They say to you, thanks for reminding me that I need to keep my conversation focused on the Lord. Can we try it again? And you say, absolutely. Guess what just happened? 
God just sent joyful feeling for the decision you just made for him. Faith is ours to exercise, but joyful feeling and the blessing is God's to give to us. God says, I'm responsible for the feelings. You just do it. You're dating a guy that you have no business dating because God does not endorse dating. God endorses courtship. God condemns dating. You realize this is going to hurt him. But God says, you're in the wrong relationship. You need to break it. But Lord, maybe I can win him. No, he's going to end up converting you. Break it. You don't feel to do it. But God says, choose to do it. You choose to do it and you go ahead and break away. And at first, all the relationship seems terrible. Now, all of a sudden, you're sad, you're hurt, you're missing him and he's missing you. He's crying. He's broken. He's chasing you. But you're ignoring him because you're following God's commands. But then eventually, all of a sudden, in just a week. You end up at the store one day and you see him walking around in that store, but he's walking with another young lady by his side. All of a sudden, you realize something about his character that you did not see beforehand. But praise God, you followed God's instruction. And then all of a sudden, when you were feeling bad and broken about it before, now all of a sudden you're feeling good about your decision. Guess who sent that good feeling? God. God says, you see, God says, listen, every good and perfect gift comes from above. God says, if it was good for you, I'd never take it away from you. And if it was bad for you, I would never tell you to do it. God loves us, brothers and sisters, but we have to follow his plan. We have to follow his commands. Amen. So therefore, number one, we begin to get the knowledge. Number two, then we exercise wisdom. The wisdom is the keeping and doing of the knowledge that I've gained. And God says it is through this. That after a while, when you keep learning about God, beholding God and following and working with God, guess what happens? It's almost like a miracle. You start to love God. Before you were just doing it because you were just simply trying to follow what he says, but you were open. But all of a sudden you're pleading for his spirit. His spirit is coming in your life more and more. He's opening your mind. You're obeying his word and you're seeing the fruit of obedience. And all of a sudden the relationship with Jesus is developing to the point that you begin to actually love God even when nobody else is looking. And brothers and sisters, this is the point that God wants to get us to. You see, I want you to look at it this way. The true and highest sense of love God is found in John 14 and verse 15. Look at what the Bible says in John 14 and verse 15. We talked about it earlier, but we're just looking at it for reference sake. John 14 and verse 15. In John, the 14th chapter and the 15th verse, notice what the Bible says. Jesus promises us. He says, if ye love me. He says, keep my commandments. The greatest demonstration we can show our love to Jesus Christ is when we keep his commandments and to keep God's commandments means you don't break it anymore. And to no longer break God's commandments means victory over sin. And this is the experience that God wants to bring us in. And only love for good combined with hatred of evil will get it done. Now. When Jesus walked on this earth, you want to know what I thought was so interesting about the statement of his life? Hebrews chapter one. We're preparing to close Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. In Hebrews, the first chapter, if somebody said, what is it to be like Jesus? And if I could put it in just two verses, what would I put it in? I would put it in Hebrews one, eight and nine. In Hebrews chapter one, verses eight and nine. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Hebrews one, eight and nine, but unto the son, he saith. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Now, look at verse 9, description of Jesus. Thou hast what? Loved righteousness and what else? And hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The description of Jesus is the Bible says he loved righteousness 
and hated iniquity. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 119.172 says, All thy commandments are righteousness. Satan tried to get Jesus to sin and break God's commandments, but Satan could not do it. But you know the reason why? It's because Jesus loved righteousness. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Is it yours? You see, this is what God wants us to understand. God is righteousness. His law is righteousness and Jesus loved both. Therefore, Satan could not penetrate him. And when we love God, when we love his law, brothers and sisters, Satan will not be able to penetrate you either. But as long as we think it's enough to just be around Jesus, as long as we think it's enough to just keep coming to big meetings and all these things and trying to let somebody else be our religion, the the longer that we keep neglecting what it is to get to know God, you'll never have victory over sin. And I'm telling you, when that Sunday law test comes to you, it will take you, not just the world, it will take you as an overwhelming surprise. And that's what's going to happen to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people throughout this world. They're going to be taken by absolute surprise because they did not cultivate the relationship with God that they should have been doing right now. Let's review. Review. As we review, remember. Fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Well, we learned that in Proverbs 8, 13, to hate evil. But the problem is we can't hate evil on our own. We need God in us. So the first step is we have to get to what? We have to get to know him. We're talking about how can I really get to fear God? Number one, get to know him. Not in casual haphazard efforts or any of those things. Not in neglect of inspiration. Not in turning away from God's books of truth. Stick to the Bible. Stick to the spirit of prophecy. Follow what God teaches us through these inspired writings. But then after you get to know him, the next step is to what? Obey him. Whatever you know of God's light, obey it. Whatever you know of God's light right now, there are many things I'm sure we're all going to learn, including yours truly. But I'm telling you what you know to be truth. Live up to those rays of light now. That's how you'll get greater light. So therefore, number one, get to know him as I get to know God and I begin to obey him. What happens is as a result of knowing him and obeying him, we're going to the next step. We begin to love him. And as we get to love God, the Bible tells us the fruit of love. Loving Jesus causes us to do what? Keep his commandments. Amen. So therefore, we love him. And then when we love him, we'll begin to hate anything unlike him. That's how you hate evil. You cannot hate evil until you learn something better than it. And that's the reason why Christ must be lifted up. As we give the points of prophecy and show the end time events and show the nearness of the crisis, Christ must be lifted up because it's by beholding him that he arises within our hearts. And as we get to know him and obey him, we begin to love him. And when you love him, you'll hate anything unlike him. And guess what? Do you know what happens when you hate what God hates and you love what he loves? You know what happens next? You're just like him. Hebrews 1, 9. When you get to a point that you hate what God hates, when you get to a point that you love what God loves, brothers and sisters, what happens next is now you're just like him. Do you know that Jesus is coming back for a bunch of mirrors? Oh, I love it. Jesus is coming back for a bunch of people that he can see a perfect reflection of himself in them. That's what a mirror does. A mirror shows you a perfect reflection of yourself, your real self. Jesus is coming back for a bunch of mirrors. He's coming back for people who look just like him. He was tempted in all points, but he did not sin. He's coming back for people who have been tempted in all points, but did not sin. And when the world wonders, how did they do it? They'll be able to say, because we've learned what it is to fear God. This is the experience of the first angel's message. This is what God wanted to accomplish through our prophesying again and bringing them back to the first so that we can progress to the second and live up to the time we are in the third angel's message right now. God wants us to understand that it's only until we get to this experience that we're not ready. 
I don't care how much you know and show about what's happening in this world and what's happening in this church. If it does not transpire into a love for Jesus and his truth that causes us to be like him in every way, it is worthless. It is worthless. And I want to tell you something. Take it from me. You're not supposed to trust man, but you can listen to a testimony. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. I've been at several camp meetings. I've been at lots of different events. I've been in different places under different uh, circumstances. And and I've heard so many things about end time events and all these things. And I preach it, too. I believe it because it's part of what we should do. Amen. Amen. But brothers and sisters, if we do not let those end time events bring us into an experience with Jesus, that we end up just like him. It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. I cannot impress that upon the hearts enough. It doesn't matter because even I know what it is to have dry formality and heavy drudgery. You go home and you change your dress. You change your diet. You change all these different things. But the heart is still the same. The heart longs. You dress right, but you long for the garments of Babylon. You eat right, but you long for the flesh pots of Egypt. You listen to nothing but hymns, but you want the rock and roll and the hip hop so bad. God says that might be acceptable in this world, but that's not acceptable in my new world. Because 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7 says, God looks upon the heart. God wants heart reform. Now, brothers and sisters, I live in the country right now. Praise God. I do not listen to any of these foul forms of music that we have in the world today. My diet is not even a vegan diet. I believe God has not called any of us to be vegans. God has called us to be health reformers. There are things that vegans will eat that as a health reformer I would not eat. So I'm not a vegan and you're not either if you get educated on it. You're not a vegan. I believe in dress reform. My wife, my daughters, everybody, we all practice dress reform based on the counsels of the Bible and spirit of prophecy. But brothers and sisters, don't ever forget this. Country living, the diet, the dress, the worship styles, and all these changes that are necessary and that we make in our lives. Don't ever forget this. These are fruits of righteousness, not the root of righteousness. If you're connected to Christ, our righteousness You, by the grace of God, will dress right, eat right, live in the right locations and everything else. You know why? Because you know how Christians live. You know the one important question on a Christian's mind? Father, what best pleases you? Do you know that's the mindset of the Christian? The Christian does what they do because they know that it pleases God. It doesn't merit them any favor. It doesn't make them holy or righteous. It simply pleases God. And you know what I like about that? There's a man who had an experience a few years ago. Quite a few. And this man had an experience that I believe all of you want. I believe all of you want. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you should want it. There was a man who walked so much with God. I like how one evangelist tells the story. There was a man named Enoch. And one day him and God took a walk together. And as him and God were walking together along the way, eventually he and God looked back. And God realized that Enoch's home was so far away that God said, Enoch, you've been walking with me for this distance so long. You might as well just come home with me. And God decided to go ahead and take him home. And you know why? Because the Bible says Enoch had a very special testimony. You want to know what Enoch's testimony was? Go to Hebrews 11 as we close. Great. Hebrews 11. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter. What was it about Enoch's testimony? The Bible says in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And I want you to see it in verse 5. It says, by faith, Enoch was what? 
translated. That's why I said if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, this, this should be your desire. Did you know that Seventh-day Adventists are striving by the grace of God to be counted amongst the translated group? Did you know that we were told by inspiration that we should seek to be counted amongst the group, the 144,000, and we are to seek to be counted amongst those who would be translated? It says, by faith, Enoch was translated. And let's finish the verse. It says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. But now look at the closing sentence. What was the testimony of Enoch's life? It says, for before his translation, he had this testimony. What was his testimony? That he pleased God. I think that's a lesson for us. The more you live a life pleasing God is the life that you are living preparing for translation. Why do I dress right? I want to please God. Why do I eat right? Why do I eat this way? I want to please God. Why do I talk and act this way? Why do I listen to the forms of music I listen to? I do all these things because I want to please God. It becomes your heartfelt, lifelong desire to please him. How could I forget this? This is a beautiful statement. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of what kind of obedience? Continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become what? Hateful to us. And brothers and sisters, Christ says, you follow these steps, step by step, and you will learn how to truly fear him and give him glory in the final moments of this judgment hour. My hope and my prayer is that as we have studied this together, that by the grace of God, we better understand how to practically enter into the experience of the first angel. Now, brothers and sisters, give God glory. The hour of his judgment, worship him. These are all expressions that I'm trusting you are going to continue to study this in your personal devotional times. Amen. 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 But I encourage you, please dig deep into the word of God. Understand what the Lord is saying to yours and my heart so that we may truly be a people prepared to meet our God. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have helped us in a more practical way to understand the very first instruction under the admonishment of the first angel, which is to fear God. Lord, I know that there's so much more that you would share with us, but I believe if we take hold of the gems that we have studied in these past two sessions, I know, Father, that you will do something miraculous in us and through us for thy glory. Please, Father, create in us a clean heart. Renew within us a right spirit. Help us, Father, to remember the principles of what it is to get to know you. And as we get to know you, may we exercise wisdom and obey that which you impart to us. And Lord, I pray that through this knowledge and obedience may it create a love for thee. And Lord, I ask that as we love you, thank you that we'll realize what it is to hate anything unlike you. And when we love what you love and hate what you hate, praise God, we become just like you. Abide with us, Father, and empower us, we pray through thy Holy Spirit. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.